magic lamp. Wonder what happens when I rub it. You have awakened me. I shall grant you three wishes. My first wish is for economic development. My second wish is to save hours of travel time. And my third wish is to create safer roads. You could have just wished for bus rapid transit and gotten all these things with one wish. Make all your transit wishes come true. Learn more about bus rapid transit at indigo.net slash bus dash rapid dash transit. Welcome to our number two of the first day, the WIBC Sunday Magazine Show, brought to you by people you should know, Greg Cooper and Lisa Phillips. They are real estate consultants with Crossroads Collective at Compass Real Estate, CrossroadsCollectiveHomes.com. If you missed our conversation regarding what strategies buyers and sellers should use to continue to reach their goals in the current market, which, by the way, mortgage rates spiked a full half a percent this past week. You can certainly go to, you can find Lisa and Greg on our first day podcast on Apple iTunes. Just search for Terry Stacy, or you can find us at WIBC.com. Kylan Talley is here producing the show. Also, Denny Smith running around. I'm Terry Stacy, and let's talk to someone that's a great storyteller coming to Carmel at the end of the month. You might remember Wayne Powers as the cop on Laverne and Shirley or from starring in his own sitcom 13 East on NBC. Did that for two seasons. But he's also an acclaimed vocalist from his nearly 50 years of singing in nightclubs, jazz festivals and concerts all over the country. His name is Wayne Powers again, I'll remind you. And he is coming with a fantastic show Saturday, July 22nd uh, when he appears at Feinstein's at Hotel Carmichael in Carmel just one night only and he's on the phone with us right now the great jazz vocalist actor comedian broadcaster wayne powers how are you Wayne? i, I, re- I remember him <laughs> <laughs> hi terry how are you i'm good it's so great to have you with us here at wibc and and in here in indianapolis and love that oh, you're I'm, coming i'm delighted to be with you i really am you should let people know that you really started singing at 16 years old in a nightclub yeah, I'm, I'm trying to forget that because I was really <laughs> terrible. I really, I was really awful. No. But, but you got to start somewhere. And, and uh, yeah, I did. I was singing, singing in a, in a nightclub there, and uh, and I cut my, you know, cut my teeth on that. And then, you know, and then I finally figured out, you know, that I needed to actually learn how to do this because I love the music. First of all, we're talking about the music of the Great American Songbook, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is some of the greatest music ever written, and it's uniquely American. It's our culture, it's our legacy, and it's a very important thing to preserve. And, and Michael Feinstein has done an amazing job through the years in in really being the the greatest, the world's ambassador for uh, Great American Songbook, and. Uh, from creating the foundation to all of his work, you know, in concerts and and all the other support he gives for that genre of music, it's so it's such great music. It's the music of my parents. Yeah, right. You know, right. And, and 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 it has become my music, and it's the music that I pass down to my children and to my grandchildren. It is something that is it's a legacy, and it's a legacy because it speaks to the human spirit. It's human music. It's not electronic. It's something that 
speaks to your heart. Mm-hmm. It's something that that will 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 you will relate to on a an emotional level. It's something that will will make you recall things in your own life and make your own connections with your own emotional life. It's very very powerful stuff. And timeless. It'll make you feel great. Yeah. It'll you know it's it's music that you you can't stop tapping your feet or snapping your fingers to. Mm-hmm. It's music that'll touch your heart. It's it's very powerful stuff. You and Michael Feinstein are a real friendship. It's a real thing. Well, I mean, it's not like we're, we're pals. I, mean, I haven't seen him in quite a while, but we go back a long time, Jerry. We, I first met Michael back in 1977, doing a, an improv comedy show with Robin Williams in L.A. Wow. And it was before either one of us had been discovered. He got Mark and Mindy out of that show, and I got Laverne and Shirley out of that show. But, yeah, it was an amazing thing. It was just little folding chairs in a converted ballet studio in Hollywood. And suddenly, you know, we were we attracted so much attention and so much buzz that, you know, Norman Lear was showing up and Gary Marshall was showing up and all these people were showing up. And, and uh, a lot of discoveries came out of there. A lot of people got careers. There, was a, there were eight of us in the group. Some of them went on to be executive producers of Golden Girls, and you know, oh it's it, it's a, a, a terrific uh, pool of talent there, and it was a, a dynamic time back then. What a great anyway, time. we had a, we had a piano player because we did an improv comedy show, and we literally said, you know, we'll we'll do whatever you want to see, and the audience would give us a suggestion. We get up and do it, didn't matter how crazy it was. <laughs> My classic example is, you know, a, a centipede goes to the shoe store. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> we get up. And- we get up and do that. Well, then, you know, in between, uh, as we're in between the scenes, there would be little interlude music. And we, so we had a piano player there. And then at the end of each act, uh, we would do a musical number. And we would ask uh, the audience, uh, give us a, a style of music, country and western, or genre of music, like, you know, Broadway musical comedy or opera or whatever they said. And then we would ask them for like three words or a phrase or something to give us the the storyline. And we would take that and we would totally improvise a musical piece. But so we need, so we had a piano player. When we couldn't get our regular piano player, we got Michael. He was our substitute piano player, oh if you can gosh. believe that. And I, I, I tell everybody, he was a genius even back then. And, and he had that, that knowledge and that passion and that commitment to the Great American Songbook uh, music, even then. Wayne Powers, he's coming here July 22nd for a performance at Feinstein's at Hotel Carmichael in Carmel. Feinstein'sHC.com for tickets. More with Wayne when we return to the first day right here on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to the first day on 93 WIBC. I'm Terry Stacy, and if you're just tuning in, we've been talking to the great jazz vocalist, actor, comedian, broadcaster Wayne Powers, who will be here July 22nd with a performance at Feinstein's at Hotel Carmichael in Carmel. Feinstein'sHC.com for tickets. And Wayne, you've worked with some incredible comedians, Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams. But before you had famous friends, you landed a job with Henry Mancini. And uh, I literally landed it, Carrie, because <laughs> I I was doing I was in St. Louis and I was doing in St. Louis I was doing a nightclub act doing my music and I was doing theater there and I was on the radio there. 
Anyway, my contract was up, and I went out on the road to do dinner theater with Dick Sargent, who was the second husband on Bewitched. I mean, no, I know the name, sure. Well, Dick Sargent was a, an awfully great, sweet, sweet man, a really, a really great guy. And so I, I went out on the road to, with Dick Sargent in a terrible dinner theater show called Not With My Daughter. And, <laughs> oh, dear. and it, was a, it was a light comedy and it was great. It was a great fun. But we had a lot of fun. The audiences just loved it. Went, went around with it. I did it in Oklahoma City. And then I, I was due to come back back home to, to St. Louis. And Dick Sargent kept saying to me, what in the world are you doing in St. Louis? You need to be you need to be in Los Angeles. You need to be doing sitcoms and you could be doing your music at the same time. What are you doing in St. Louis? Just said, you know what? I don't want to wake up 25 years from now and say what would have happened if. I always think that's a mistake, that when you have an opportunity and, it, and it's attractive to you in life and, and a, a door opens unexpectedly or a door opens that you don't recognize, you're foolish not to open the door and go through it that's- because the chance doesn't come again. And you don't want to wake up and have lived your life sort of in neutral. And I, I want to be discovering things and, and being alive and not, not phoning it in. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm a passionate human being and I, I don't phone anything in. You know, I, whatever I do, I do with everything I've got or I don't do it. I packed my dog up and I took a car and I drove to, to California where I had never been before. I'd never even visited California. Slept on a friend's couch and I got a call from Jim McCrell. You may not remember who he is, but he was the host of a show called Celebrity Sweepstakes. And he always said, if you ever get to L.A., look me up. So I called him up and, I, and, and he said, well, come on over. Mate answers the door and, and I go through. He said, oh, Mr. McCrell is out back. And I go out back and, and there's Jim McCrell <laughs> on the phone. And, you know, he waves me to, to hold on for a second while he finishes his call. And he says, well, wait a minute to, on the phone. He, and he looks at me and he says, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, gee, I'm hoping I could come back here. So he said, all right, hang on. And he said, I got the guy for you. I'm going to send him over to you tomorrow. What time do you want to see him? Long story, not quite so long. It was Henry Mancini on the phone. Oh, my gosh. What, oh, and he had wow. worked for Henry Mancini many, many years before. And and uh, Mr. Mancini was looking for someone to uh, work as a, a song plugger for his music publishing company. Amazing. Went in to meet with Henry Mancini and the next day, and we had a wonderful, wonderful chat. And, I, and I'm sitting there. You know, thinking, gee, you know, I mean, I've got a shot at this. Henry Mancini, he was such a great gentleman, a sweet man. I mean, I can't speak highly enough of Henry Mancini. Oh, my gosh. He gave me his old office at the corner of Sunset and Vine, 10th floor, overlooking the Hollywood sign, corner office, private secretary, a, a grand piano and gold records on the wall. And I literally <laughs> fell into that, Terry. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it was like stepping in something oh in the street. Gosh. I just fell into that it. Is... I've been very blessed, I must tell you. Yes. And and I've had a, a you know had a long career. And I'm still having it. You know, I'm you still really having it. You really are. I mean, we hear songs on uh, seriously Sinatra. What a thrill that is! Because I grew up literally. I, I met Mr. Sinatra a couple of times, and 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 I knew a lot of the people around him. I knew every comedian that ever opened for him. So I, I had a lot of connections to Sinatra, and Sinatra was truly an idol of mine uh, musically. And and my dad used to sing along with the Sinatra records around the house, and that was my introduction to that whole genre of music. So to have my music now being played on Seriously Sinatra and Sirius XM, they that's owned and programmed by the Sinatra family. 
I mean, it's to me, it's like winning a Grammy. To me, personally, you know, it just feels like that. It's just such a, a humbling thing. He's coming to Feinstein's at Hotel Carmichael in Carmel for a one-night-only show, July 22nd. Tickets start at $40. Go to Feinstein'sHC.com. Show starts at 7.30. Come on out for early and have a fantastic dinner. Hey, Wayne. I love talking. As uh, you can tell, it's hard to keep my mouth shut You here, know, so. you are amazing. We'll look <laughs> oh, forward to it. It's her. my pleasure, Terry. Truly my pleasure. Thank and you. And I'm very excited about, about coming to uh, Feinstein's. It's a terrific venue. It is. It's a place where the performer and the audience really can connect. And it's it, Michael did a terrific job in coming up w- designing these this place it's because a, it's like supper clubs used to be. Yeah, it it's has a, that it's a feel. tremendous asset to Carmel. Thank you, I my friend. To it, Me Terry. too. You be well. Thank you, Wayne. All righty. Bye-bye. You're listening to The First Day on 93 WIBC, brought to you by Greg Cooper and Lisa Phillips, real estate consultants with Crossroads Collective at Compass Real Estate, CrossroadsCollectiveHomes.com, or you can visit HoosierHomeValues2023.com. Before we head into the break, Indiana is one of 17 states that might be able to view the northern lights also known as the Aurora Borealis, when they appear in the sky this week. Where could the northern lights appear in Indiana? Well, if the weather is good, the northern lights will be visible on Thursday, July 13th, in the northern parts of Indiana. And according to a forecast from the University of Alaska Fairbanks, uh, it may also be visible low on the horizon here in Indianapolis. What time will the northern lights be visible? The best chance of viewing the northern lights is between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. on July 13th. If you are interested in viewing the northern lights, you need to get away from the city lights and the light pollution for a better chance at seeing them. Keeping my fingers crossed, I hope we get to see them. Uh, All right, the State Fair, it's at the end of this month. Can you believe it? The great Indiana State Fair. And for so many of us, food is the best part of the Indiana State Fair. And they tell us this week that we, uh, they made the announcement that there are 30 new food items for our great Indiana State Fair this year. The new items include barbecue pig wings from our Indiana pork producers, also buffalo, pork, and mac. Chocolate glazed popcorn from old time popping corn, deep fried corn on a stick, which looks outstanding. It is a it's a corn on the cob on a stick and it's deep fried, just like it says. And it sounds absolutely fantastic. Deep fried sandwich cookie ale. That's from Sun King. Street corn pizza. I think I made that for Tony Katz one time. Remember when we used to play Will Tony Eat This? I made that for him, I'm sure, one time. We also have flaming Hot Cheeto Corn in a Cup. Gimme S'more Bourbon Shake. A Hoosier Burger Mango. That's vegan and sounds good. Indiana Hardwood Nachos. These are nacho chips layered with queso, Indiana street corn, and drizzled with sweet baby raised barbecue sauce. How's that sound? From our friends at the uh, American Dairy Association, they always come up with the best uh, grilled cheese sandwich. This time, they're going to be presenting an Italian melt. Oh, my gosh. My mouth is watering. Also, an ooey-gooey deliciousness nut elephant ear. Nutella fent ear. (laughs) Nutella elephant ear. Uh, Pepperoni pizza pretzel. Sirloin tip fries. Now, if I may, my very favorite one on this list 
uh, is the um, smoked bologna burnt ends from Red Fraser Bison. I think they're on that northeast corner of the fairgrounds. That sounds fantastic. Smoked bologna burnt ends. Oh, wait, two more. Just two more I want to tell you about, which are the sirloin tip fries. Oh, my gosh. It's fries with sirloin tips. This is just that simple. It's <laughs> And then the s'mores funnel cake. How about that? Does that sound delicious to you as well? And the pepperoni pizza pretzel. Did I mention that? And there's a lot more, too. The Indiana State Fair, July 28th through August 20th. Uh, and there's a lot more first day coming up as well. We're going to take a break. We're glad you're here. Coming up, by the way, are you into pickleball? Well, coming up, I'm ready to jump on the pickleball bandwagon. And I found a great site for newcomers, just like me, and maybe just like you, too. Plus, Denny Smith, he will rejoin us to tell us about a company that is looking for skilled craftsmen, and they're looking right now. Maybe we'll help you find a job. That's coming up after the break on 93 WIBC. WIBC, it is Terry Stacy. Pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. And joining us now is Brandon Mackey. He is the co-founder of Pickleheads, pickleheads.com. Brandon, it's nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be here, Terry. Thank you for joining us. You know, how did pickleball become America's favorite sport? Well, I think it's really two reasons. Um, pickleball is one of the easiest sports for people to pick up and learn. And I think people go out, they have a great time. They even win games the first time out. It makes them want to come back for more. <laughs> and number two, pickleball is one of, if not the most social sport uh, out there. Uh, you typically play in at doubles or in large groups in open play format. You get to meet a lot of people. And it's great fun. And for a lot of people, it's more than just a sport. It's it's a social outlet. Yeah. You know, here's what I think is interesting, Brandon, is that pickleball uh, founded in America. It's a, known, a founded in America game. It was invented by an American almost 60 years ago. But something happened to make it catch fire. And what is that, do you think? Well, you know, it's interesting. For many decades, pickleball was played primarily in, in senior communities in Florida and Arizona. And just in the last few years, it's been growing like crazy. And one of our theories is the pandemic was an important catalyst for pickleball because all of a sudden, all the ways that people would exercise or play sports, maybe inside or in, in gymnasiums, were off the table. And they took to the outdoors where you could play and socialize responsibly. Uh, and pickleball was perfect for that. And all of a sudden, people that might go to their local parks, they saw people playing a new sport. It caught their attention. They wanted to get in on the action. And it just sort of grew virally from there, and it just has not slowed down. Which demographic do you see pickleball growing the fastest? Well, the, the data says, and anecdotally we can confirm, it's the young folks that are moving the sport forward. So the 18 to 34 segment, the fastest growing segment, and it's now the largest. Wow. So the average age of pickleball players dropped below 35 for the first time ever last year. And it's really exciting. I'm seeing young you know, parents bringing their young kids out. I'm hearing about it being played in middle schools and, and even becoming a high school sport. So that's a really exciting um, angle of pickleball that I think for many decades was not true. Brandon Mackey is the co-founder of Pickleheads, pickleheads.com. We're going to find out what they do there. But this rise in pickleball in Indy, you say that the sport is growing like crazy here in Indianapolis. 
Yes, it is. Um, you know, Indianapolis is on our, excuse me, on our top 30 list um, by number of pickleball facilities. So there's tons of places to play. Uh, there's pickleball clubs, groups, all sorts of tournaments, round robins that are happening. And from everything we can tell, it's an absolute hotspot in the nation. Like, I've never played. I've watched it. I have a pickleball court right behind our house. If for somebody that wants to start playing, what is the cost involved? What do you need? The good news is is you need very little. Uh, so all you need is a paddle. You can buy one on Amazon for under $50, and, and we've got a paddle guide on our site, too, if, if you're just looking for one. But beyond that, uh, typically you'll find someone can loan you a ball out on the court, and if you find a good public facility, it's free to play. So that's a great aspect of the sport is you don't need to spend a bunch of money to go out and try it. Although if you become as obsessed as I am, soon you'll be buying $250 paddles. But that's a later problem. <laughs> Do you play in tournaments? I'm sure you probably are at that level. Are, what, there are, diff- are there different levels? Yeah, so it's, it's a rating system similar to tennis. So anywhere from a 2.0 to a 5.0 player would basically be like a pro. Uh, I'm more of a rec player, but I, love, I get out there a few hours each day and typically play at the 3.5, 4.0 level. Um, which would be like intermediate plus, but okay. I love it. But there's a lot of people I know that are a lot better than me and kind of travel around going to tournaments. You mentioned you mentioned that there is a professional level. People are getting paid to play pickleball, and now as the sport looks to grow at a professional level, it's got to convince spectators that the game is as much fun to watch as it is to play. Does pickleball offer much as a spectator sport, so it can continue to grow? Yeah, I think that's a big open question right now. Uh, no one can debate that pickleball isn't a ton of fun to play. But the spectator sport is, is growing. Uh, Major League Pickleball is really having its first full season this year. And it's even being televised now. So the, ter- the Championship Sunday is being televised on CBS. And Amazon Prime just signed a deal to start televising some of the tournaments throughout the year. Wow. So it's an open question. Personally, I think it's also very fun to watch. I, I've been to a couple tournaments myself. And the great news is you can go to them pretty affordably. It's not like going to an NFL game that might cost hundreds of dollars. And you can usually get really good seats. You could be courtside among the you know, best players in the world, and it's pretty exhilarating. So I would definitely encourage everyone to try watching it. Um, or at the very least, there's some great Instagram accounts you can follow, and the highlights are, are great fun to watch. You think it's got lasting power? I really do. If, if you think about uh, the folks in Arizona and Florida that have been playing for decades, a lot of those people played every day of their lives. Uh, for for many, many years. And I think we're going to see that. I think there's people that'll pick up the paddle today and they'll play every every week for the next 50 years. Uh, I know I will. So I think it's here to stay. You might not hear about it in the news as much as you have, but I think you go to the courts, you'll find people playing day in, day out. If you're new to this game, I highly recommend that you go to pickleheads.com because there are so many resources and so much information there. But Brandon, it's you you founded Pickleheads. You tell us about what our listeners can find there. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the easiest thing you can do on our site is you can put in your location, your address, and you can find all the pickleball facilities near you. Um, you can browse by public or private or which ones have dedicated courts. Uh, but not only that, you can actually look at Uh, a local pickleball court and see a live schedule of when play is happening. So maybe someone's posted, they're looking for a fourth for a pickup game, or there's an open play time. And those are usually going to be the best times to go out and play. So not only can you find where to play, but you can find who to play with. 
Um, and we also have some some paddle buying guides. Uh, we've got a virtual clinic as well if you're just brand new to the sport and need a primer. So everything that you need to get out in the courts and enjoy the game. Do you think you could need a lesson if, if you're just a beginner? Yeah, I see it all the time. People come out to the courts that have never played before, and they haven't even read any articles or watched any YouTube videos. And they learn in about 15 minutes. Um, it's a really easy sport to get to get a hang of. The scoring's a little a little weird. That trips people up sometimes. But the gameplay itself, I think, comes very natural to people. So even if you don't have time to, to read through any resources, there's no better way than just get on the court. And pickleball players are typically very welcoming. Uh, and we usually invite you right in and show you the ropes. Okay. Brandon Mackey, co-founder of Pickleheads. Pickleheads.com. It's a great place for you to start if you're just learning. And if not, you just want to learn where courts are. Uh, it's also a great resource for you as well. Hey, Brandon, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Coming up, Denny Smith. He'll be here to tell us about a company that is looking for skilled craftsmen right now. You're listening to The First Day, brought to you by Greg Cooper and Lisa Phillips. If you're house hunting or ready to sell, I promise you this duo is who you want by your side. They are real estate consultants with Crossroads Collective at Compass Real Estate, CrossroadsCollectiveHomes.com, or visit HoosierHomeValues2023.com. You're listening to 93 WIBC. Don't complicate it, keep it simple, just work hard and be nice to people. Welcome back to The First Day, the WIBC Sunday Magazine Show. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. I'm Terry Stacy. Kylan Talley is here producing today's show. And Denny Smith with a special guest. In 1964, a new play arrived on Broadway. Now that was almost 60 years ago. And after a rather rocky start, it became a legend and was later inducted into the Broadway Hall of Fame. So who in the world could forget the ever-endearing Dolly Gallagher-Levi, who was the famous matchmaker in Hello, Dolly? Well, believe it or not, I have the 21st century version of Dolly on the phone with me right now. But she's not who you might think she is. Kelly Rowlett Pressgrave is indeed a matchmaker, but she finds marriages between people who work with their hands in plumbing, heating, air conditioning, electrical, even boiler work, and companies who are at the top of their markets across the United States. She's currently helping contractors in 49 cities with over 100 job postings, and she's joining me right now. Hey, Kelly, welcome to WIBC in the first day. Hey, Denny, thanks for having me. All right, so Kelly, you've become the matchmaker for craftspeople and mechanical companies across the United States. How in the world did this thing get started? Well, it really all got started with being married to a contractor myself for almost 30 years now. We've been together for over 30 years and watching my husband struggle with recruiting since he started working. Dad actually started the company, but through osmosis. So watching his company struggle with it, seeing though the difference that one technician can make to the bottom line and how how much the talent that you have on board can make a difference to your company. So why is recruiting good tradespeople the number one challenge of contractors? Well, really supply and demand. It comes down to that. There's not enough people in the trades right now for the need. So it boils down to supply and demand. Have you found that craftspeople will move to another city if the job is right? You are representing some 50 cities and over 100 openings. Do people move from one city to another? They will. What we found is if you're in, if, and we were very successful with a strategy for a client in Nashville doing this, 
and Nashville's a hot place to live. So it was not, I won't say easy, but it was less challenging to try and get people to move to Nashville because kind of a sexy town, if you will, there's a lot of people moving there. So that wasn't as challenging as trying to get some people to move or relocate to some of the more rural areas of the country. North Wisconsin is not as easy as Nashville. (laughs) Um, We still do it. We still ask every single one of our candidates, are you open to relocating? Because you never know. I have told people in high school, in college, to not feel bullied or intimidated into going to college. The trades can provide you a great living without the debt of a college education. What's your perspective on that? Should these contractors be recruiting kids right out of high school? Absolutely. A thousand percent agree with this. There are so many opportunities for skilled tradespeople. And if you're curious and you want to learn, then you have a leg up. Some of the most successful people I know in in business are master plumbers. And they started in the field and now they own their own companies. They never had a college degree and they are really, really successful. We placed one apprentice two years ago with one of our clients. He's now making six figures. He's 24 years old. Oh, I love so those stories. Oh, wonderful, <laughs> Kelly. Well, are mechanical, yeah, yeah. mechanical companies still willing to train? In addition to all the recruiting of craftspeople, are they willing to train them to keep them on board? Yes, and they have to. And I think they recognize that. So as the workforce, some of them age out, you have a great opportunity for mentorship. We do have several clients that have academies, if you will, where they have a formal training program that someone can learn in a classroom setting. And then they have on-the-job training and it's very formalized. It's accredited by the state. We have that kind of client. And then we have others that it's not as formal, but it's an older plumber or HVAC technician that's aging out and wants to share what they've learned. Either, either way, I think it's really important for all companies to have that because of the supply and demand. It's not enough to just go out and find experienced people. You have to be able to grow your own. Kelly Rowlett Pressgrave joins me. The name of her company, Work With Your Hands, H-A-N-D-Z dot com. And she's a remarkable woman. Kelly, I reviewed some of the job postings. I'm a plumber. And I noticed there was a great job in Florida paying up to $150,000 a year. Is that unusual? It is really not. You know, we have plumber here in Northern Virginia who makes over two fifty, um, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Does he work more than forty hours a week? He does. He works closer to probably fifty hours a week. But the opportunity is there for anybody who wants to earn a great living. Absolutely, one hundred fifty is not out of the ballpark. Some of the more rural areas of the country may not see that just because it's not as populated. But if you're in a metropolitan area, 100%. Kelly, how does your service work? Our service works by partnering with our clients. We really get to know them. We're getting to know our clients on their culture, their core values. How do they work? I mean, everything. We're really getting super familiar with their business, their geographic area. And partnering with them, they may have great needs. They may need management, leadership, all the the inside, the guts of the company, CSRs, dispatchers, things like that, in addition to technicians. So we can fill all the needs they have. We can be their outsourced recruiting team, if you will. And that is one aspect of where we can really shine when someone is in growth mode. Then we have other companies that, you know, they just need one plumber. They had someone leave and they don't really, even if they're in growth mode, they don't have all those needs. So we have solutions for either one. If you partner with us, we can find whatever you need for your commercial or residential service company, whatever contracting company you have, we're here for you. And like you said, we work in 49 separate cities. We're, we're nationwide. Really, that company that in growth mode that is looking for has a headcount number that they're trying to reach. That's where we can come in and make a huge difference. 
Kelly, do you have any advice to young people or people that are already in a craft or a trade who are looking for a career? Yes, I would say be picky about who you want to work for. Make sure that your core values align with the core values of the company. The world is your or store. You have so much to be excited about. If they don't have a mentorship or any technical or professional development available, you can go out and look for that on your own. But let leadership know, communicate with your employer that you want want to learn more, that you're curious about something, that you're excited about being better at your craft. Any company that we work with would be ecstatic about that and would set you up so that you have the ability to learn um, as much as you want. Stay hungry. It's a great industry to be in. You you have so many opportunities. Take it in whatever direction you know you want. Be picky about who you work for because there's a lot of companies out there and every one of them is very, very different. And it's that culture that can give you a real work home and somewhere where you can um, develop your skills. Kelly, how do people find you? Whether they're an employer or whether they want to be an employee, how do they find you? The best way to find me is to email me. You can email me at kelly at workwithyourhands.com. Hands is a Z on the end. You can look at our website. You can definitely call me 703-639-4134 is my direct line. And um, we'd love to hear from anybody. If they're entering the trade, I'm experienced technicians looking for recruiting help. Kelly, we sure appreciate your time today. We wish you the best, and it is a very unique business. I've not heard of another one. Kelly Rowlett Pressgrave from workwithyourhands.com. Thank you, Denny. Good job. Thanks, Denny Paul. All right. uh, Before we get out of here, there's a lot of college grads that are beginning their new careers, right? And sometimes no matter how much you research the company or you prepare your answers to generic questions, sometimes they'll ask you something completely random. According to Pushfar, which is a mentoring platform, here are the top 15 weirdest interview questions ever asked. Number one is what's your Uber rating? Number two, how are you at dealing with stupid people? Number three, if you were a fruit or a vegetable, what would you be and why? That's a ridiculous question. (laughs) No, like the others weren't. Number four, if you could be any of the original 150 Pokemon, which one would you choose? These are real honest-to-goodness questions that employers, future employers have asked those that are applying for jobs, so be aware. Number five, do you believe in aliens? Number six, how did you diffuse your last argument with a work colleague? That's a good question. Although, if you're just starting, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, so number seven, if you could be any kitchen utensil, what would you be? Number eight, if you could be a dog, what breed could, what, what breed would you be? What's your inner animal is number nine. Number, oh, this one I've been asked. Tell me a good joke. That's a real question. This goes back a long way. If you would, if you could be any part of a McDonald's Happy Meal, which part would you be and why? (laughs) Okay, there you go. That should prepare you, right? Hey, uh, again, Denny Smith, thank you. Kylan Talley, terrific job to all of our guests. Emily Cole from The Bananas, thank you. You were awesome. So many others, too. We'll see you next week on the first day. The news is next on 93 WIBC.